Ordinary Fellowship is a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations will offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me is my faithful co-host, Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. Hello. Today's episode is a blogosphere briefing. I still haven't thought of a, a better name for it than that, but uh, we want to take some time to share some news articles or blog articles of interest to us and uh, and discuss their content. We actually planned to do this at least once a month. Um, they're usually some of our most listened to episodes, so that makes me think that maybe our listeners are interested in the same blogs that we are. So anyway, gives us an opportunity to talk about things that are currently happening happening and and discuss them. So we've got a, a, at least two articles that we want to get to today. So uh, the we'll start with the first one. It's called Why American Children Stopped Believing in God. It's the article is from National Review. But it talks about a report that was released earlier in 2020 from the American Enterprise Institute. Lyman Stone tracked the history of religious behavior and association in the United States since the founding. And actually, we'll share the link on Facebook once we uh, post this episode. And you can actually download the report from the site. So if you want to take a look at the report yourself, uh, you can. But Stone's research helps us to understand the decline of religious faith in America over the past 60 years. Secularization is, to be sure, a hugely overdetermined development in American history, and just about everyone has a theory about how it happened and why. But the data seem to show the main driver of secularization in the United States has been the acceleration of government spending on education and government control over the curricular content uh, taught in schools. Now, some will jump to the conclusion that that just means that because they're more educated, they're leaving these superstitious religions behind, but the data, according to uh, this article, doesn't demonstrate that. According to Frank and Ina Cohn, Higher educational attainment did not predict lower religiosity. More and less educated people are similarly religious. They say the link between intellectual progression and modernization and secularization is non-existent. He actually argues that it turns out religiosity is usually determined very early in life. All the data suggests that, by and large, kids brought up in religious households stay religious, and kids who aren't don't. Consequently, childhood religiosity has been and remains the most important indicator of Americans' religious trajectory. Uh, And what accounts for the secularization over childhood over time? Taxpayer dollars. That's what the data shows. The conclusion, really, of the article, they asked the question, 
So how do we explain this link between education policy and religious belief, given that academic attainment itself isn't a factor? It's quite simple, really. Children learn more at school than reading, writing, and arithmetic. They imbibe a whole set of implied assumption about what's important in life. By excluding religious instruction from public schools, the government-run education system tacitly teaches students that religious commitments are not a first-order priority in life. The author of the article has suggestions on uh, further suggestions on how we uh, deal with this issue, and now I'll, I'll let you read that on your own. Um, I, I'd like to say that I think the biggest thing that we need to do. Uh, as Christians, is encourage private schools and homeschooling so that it's not that private school and homeschooling is the magic formula that your children will uh, grow up to be faithful believers in Jesus Christ. Um, there's plenty of kids who have grown up in that environment who turn from uh, the faith. And it also doesn't mean that just because your kid goes to public school, he's automatically going to be a heathen. So um, <laughs> we're, we're not arguing that. The, the data is, is making generalizations. And so we're, we're making, in general, children who brought, are brought up in religious faith remain uh, committed to, the, to that religious faith as they get older. And one of the ways I think it's best to do that is encourage private schools, private Christian schools, and uh, homeschooling as well. And what they're really arguing, what he's arguing in, in the book isn't that the schools are necessarily being anti-religious, although some of the teachers and some of the school systems may be doing that. What he's saying is just the fact that religious, religious issues are ignored because of the separation of church and state it teaches children without saying anything that religion isn't really a first-order priority. The things that are important are in school. At least they should be, or reading, writing, and arithmetic. And that's what's important in life, and this other stuff isn't, because they don't pay, they don't pay any attention to it. Because, in effect, they're not allowed to because uh, of that. Now, some people would say that the answer is we need to get uh, prayer, Bible reading, and those things back in school. I reject that idea. I don't want government teachers teaching my children about faith because I don't. Because <laughs> once you do that, once you open the door to that, then you have to let everybody in, and uh, I don't think it really solves any problems. I think the best thing to do is is to encourage private schools and homeschooling. And when I say that, I mean that the government should encourage that in some ways too. Public schools should be there for, for the people who want public schools or need public schools. But I, I think as Christians, private schooling and homeschooling is what we need to encourage. I'm sure Matthew has some thoughts about this too, so... Yeah, I mean, I would wholeheartedly concur with the thought that you had that private school and homeschooling is the better option. I think that 
well, I'll get on my political soapbox for a second. I think one of the main downfalls of public school education is the influence of the teachers' unions. Yes. I think the union, the unions dictate way too much. They control too much, and they're more interested in their power and consolidating their political power than they are in actually looking out for what is best for the kids. Because if they truly cared about the kids, which is what they say, then there would be much more instances of them supporting charter schools and supporting vouchers, when in reality they are some of the strongest opponents to voucher the voucher system there was a documentary a few years ago called waiting for superman and the whole idea of the documentary is these these kids that live in inner city dc who have to go into this lottery system to hopefully get drawn their number gets drawn so they can actually get one of the very few vouchers to go to a charter school because then they know that they would get the better education that they desire and so you you and there's tons of people that sign up that's why they want these these kids want out of those schools, but their parents uh, can't afford right to get them out. So they they're lined up, w- hoping and praying to escape these horrible public schools. Right, and the uh, another piece that personally another piece that I think is the problem is, I think George Bush meant well with No Child Left Behind. <laughs> I think his heart was in the right place, but in reality, it's a horrible piece of legislation, and and the idea that you seek to teach to a test, what it therefore encourages is an inability to do anything else. And added on to that is, goes back to what you were talking about before, we have so therefore valued knowledge and reading, reading, writing, and arithmetic that, and making sure the kids pass the test that we have removed about the value system that, that was, a t- and that was part of attached to education you also used to have a more on a value system that was ingrained and that's where personally that's why i think the largest downfall of religiosity on a broad scale has left is because you don't influence a kid in that way because we have determined that we don't have the right to influence their value system right well and i i've had People accuse me of indoctrinating my children because I don't let them give them all the options of religion or irreligion and let them choose. Although ultimately they they can choose whatever they want. I mean, I can't stop them once they're adults. But um, so e- even the idea that you should bring your children up in the faith at all is controversial with some people. They wouldn't. Even bringing up your own children, let alone someone else's child, pointing them to Christ and faith in Him would be bad, right? In and some eyes. And in all reality, if someone accuses you of indoctrinating your kids, the answer is yes. You better <laughs> believe I'm indoctrinating my kids because that's I would contend is one of the responsibilities of a parent is to indoctrinate your child in the faith. Yeah, well, and and the thing about it is what I told this guy is you're also teaching your child about your views because you're letting them choose. Your view is that everybody should choose. Right. And you're you're teaching them that this is the right way to go about it. So it's not it's unavoidable. Every parent teaches their children uh their values whether 
whether they tacitly do it or um, whether they sit down and have a class on this is what we as the the Lee family believe and that we're going to encourage this. So right. every family does it tacitly. Um, and that, you know, that's one of the beauties of homeschooling. Uh, when I say homeschool, it give, it gives you more freedom. Um, you get to teach your children values, and not every homeschooling parent is doing it because for religious purposes. Um, some may want to train their children in secular humanism, and with homeschooling, there is that freedom uh, that you can do that. Because I know I have I am acquainted with people who think that public schools are um, just hotbeds of Christianity. It's funny to me and you because we think the exact opposite, but they they feel like there's such an influence of Christianity, especially in these small rural towns, that they wouldn't want their kids going there because they would be um, inundated with um, Christian belief. So this this is the problem with public school broadly is it's a one size fits all it's a it's a factory school Correct. and the, the your freedom is very limited because other people are choosing for you because you're relying on their money um so and and one thing i would say i would say uh, whenever a discussion about um al- alternative schooling comes up um Many who are advocating for public school do so because they're concerned about children who can't afford to go to private school. They're concerned about children whose parents both work or don't have an education themselves and therefore can't homeschool their kids. They're worried about kids that aren't going to get an education if public the public system is there. And I, so I think when I say private schools, I mean private schools that would be that would teach kids who can't afford to pay right and along with private schools that have people that can pay but i i don't want to i'm i i think probably some of the most important kids to educate are are the the poor ones because not the most important you know what i mean right. I, well i put thing like this the I don't want to overlook them is right. what I'm saying. Right. The the number one indicator for, in worldly terms, success in life is the quality of education you receive. And so in some ways, a lot of the conversations that we've been having as a culture lately, I think one of the things that gets overlooked is, I'll just be blunt and say, and if I get myself in trouble, then you can write me into <laughs> hate mail. One of the systemic racist problems in America is the fact that we have such a low standard of education for for students. We we move the standard and we hold it such so low that we don't encourage effort, we don't encourage to try and we we repeat the same problem over and over and over again in the sense that the schools are not doing not accomplishing the mission that they were provided and that just gets perpetuated repeatedly. And so the child never has to rise their level, their level or their effort to a 
accomplish the task of getting the quality education that some of them desire, but they think there's no, it's not attainable for them because they can't get to private school, they can't get to charter school, and they just become stuck in the system. And again, fundamentally, I would lay the majority of that blame on the teachers' unions because, and on the political structure as done, as constructed, because people won't don't want to fix the problem, they just want to remain in power. Well, and it, it doesn't help that the federal government is in charge, and we, we need local control, of state and local control of schools. Right. That, because the, the people in the community know what the needs are and care more about the community than people in Washington, D.C., who don't even know the name of any of the schools in Dayton. Right. So, right. So the one, the one other piece that I would put out there is if you find yourself in a situation where your children have to go to public school, it's just a reiteration of how important it is to be invested and involved in their lives. That when they come home, you speak the values back into their life. You question what's going on. You talk to them. You, you parent them. And you, so you communicate that value. So even if they don't receive it at school, they still are getting it every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't have all the answers on how to do that because I, I, we've chosen to homeschool our kids. But um, I, this, this certainly isn't uh, a put down of anyone who chooses or of necessity sends their kids to public school. Uh, but it, what you're really saying is it may require more work right and and more um yeah being right. being more careful right and at, and it, but in in all reality the same thing is true with homeschooling as well because it's easy to fall into the trap well i homeschool my kids so they're <laughs> going to turn out okay and the reality right. is I think it goes to a larger conversation we can have one of these days is I think one of the problems in America is we have parents who we have we have parents who choose not to parent and we have a parenting crisis in America and I think we reap the the fruit of that. Yeah, but, but we better not go down that road this right. Is, this is a true statement. <laughs> right now. <laughs> this is true. So I encourage we'll share the article I encourage you to look at the full report and uh and if you have any in, any input, any thoughts about uh, our discussion, we'd love to hear from you. So, and then, so we would. But now we want to we want to switch gears a little bit and talk about a second article, which was written by Kevin D. Young on Gospel Coalition. It was entitled "Come, Let Us Reason Together." He begins this way: "The church is as divided as never before." Okay, that may be an overstatement. But I think most Christians would agree that from personal conversations and from social media scrolling, it certainly feels like the divisions are as bad as ever and only getting worse. The church has been divided over doctrine before, sometimes for bad reasons and often for good reasons. This is to be expected. But what seems new in our day is how Bible-believing Christians who share almost all the same doctrine on paper are massively and increasingly divided over non-doctrinal matters, torn apart by issues the Bible does not directly address. And then he continues to lay out 
the three most contentious issues that we've dealt with recently, which would be, is America deeply and perversely racist? What about COVID? And how about the election? (laughs) And so he lays out those three issues, and then he comes to the question, so what are Christians to do? And so he gives us three steps, and then I think this is where we'll jump off and kind of have a little bit of a conversation. He says, first, let us be humble, understanding that few of us are experts on these issues. Second, let us be measured. This doesn't mean our default has to be the status quo. What it does mean, we should keep our passions in proportion. Third, let us reason together. It is the profound irony of our age. Never has more information been at our fingertips, and never has it been harder to know what information to trust. He then continues and says, so then, if this is what we're supposed to do, how can we be discerning? Three steps. One, read widely, not just from different voices online, but from different voices across the centuries. Second, listen to those who know you best and love you most. Third, when possible, where possible, look at the fruit of someone's life. And then he gives us a list of diagnostic questions that we can ask. And I mean, we're not going to read those, but right. um, that's worth reading the article just just to get those. I think he does a really good job there. Of of those questions are really valuable and really important. I would completely concur with that. So. I think the important one of the important things us to take away from this article is that we have become a society that have boxed ourselves in and we believe we we desire ideological purity in the sense of I only want to be around people who believe exactly what I believe and I don't want any disagreement at all because somehow disagreement we think it produces this dissonance in our minds, this disconnection. And I think, in reality, that dissonance is a good thing. There's a, I think there's a reason why Scripture says iron sharpens iron, that we, we, we need to interact and to think things through. And so spending time talking about things, I mean, it's just kind of like what Jeremy and I do. We don't necessarily agree on everything, but it it's does both of us well to interact with other positions and to think it through. And so in reality, when you think it through and you interact with somebody else's position, it sharpens your position, but it also should clarify where your position is wrong, which leads to something he talked about, he talks about in the article, but just to say it bluntly, we have to get this notion that we know the answer to everything out of our heads. Yeah. But that's what culture screams at us, that we can know everything. And so... I think that's that's a place for us to start. That and that that's when he says, "Be humble." That that's the idea. You don't know everything. Um, you're not an expert on. Um, I'm not an expert on any of those three things that are mentioned for sure. Right. <laughs> it, I I don't. I, yeah, I'm not an expert on much, and I'm certainly not an expert on those things. And and that takes. You've got to be humble and realize you don't know everything. Right. I, I think that's one of the struggles of our culture is social media has made us think that we know a whole lot more than we actually know. And that 
is problematic for the advancement of a culture, and yeah. especially problematic for the advancement of the church, because, bluntly, it's not in the article, and I guess we'll kind of go down a rabbit trail, but one of the things that saddens me most in the, in the past year in this culture is the propensity by which Bible-believing Christians have believed, believed any number of conspiracy theories. Which is another topic for another day. We'll do an episode on. But why? My two cents. Why does that happen? Is because we think we have to be experts on everything, and we won't interact with someone who believes something different than what we believe. Yeah, and part of it's just you know it's easy to listen to people you already agree with. It, it's, I mean, it just is what it is. But and. I think social media perpetuates some of this um, because there's no humility being measured or real reasoning done on social media most of the time. Uh, most of the discussions I've had on Facebook with with people, um, all of these things end up getting violated, um, which is... But one of the things that I tell everybody is not... Everybody is on Twitter and Facebook arguing all the time. So, like, um, some people pay a, a lot of attention to all the discussion that's going on online. But most of the people that you go to church with aren't doing that. So, while you, while we think the whole country is an up, in an uproar because we're seeing, like, 10% of the people arguing and yelling at each other on Facebook, the reality is it's only a small proportion of people. There are a lot of people that are only on Facebook to look at pictures of their grandkids. Right. So they're not getting involved in these things and don't even know that they're going on, really. Right. But we, we people who are on social media a lot, it, it distorts their view of what's going on in the real world. Right. And I think another piece to add into that is there are people who, they, they recognize what's going on and they're just trying to come to some solution that makes sense, that fits into their logic structure. And so trying to work through it and they don't know exactly where to go and some of them want to be pushed against to help clarify and they it's hard to find someone to push against because no one wants to push against anyone to sharpen anything i think the piece that he finishes with is where i think i want us to finish this part of the conversation he's well, like yes go ahead before you do that um the things that he said about humility and measurement all, all those things are really good but um the two things that he, I mean, read widely is important. I don't want to discount that, but um, where he says, listen to those who know you best and love you most, and then he says, look at the fruit of someone's life, though, that is so valuable. Mm -hmm. And and what he goes, he says um, that there's something unhealthy about putting ourselves under the influence of distant personalities while neglecting those who will give an account for their care over us. Um, I, that That is so important that you put more stake in the people that really know you and love you 
than some person that doesn't even know you exist, some media personality or some dude on Twitter that has all the answers. Um, it's more important to know those people. And you, if you know them, you can look at the fruit of their lives. This guy on Twitter, he he could just be, he may not even believe these things that he's putting on there, but he knows it gets some likes or uh, shares or retweets or whatever it is. Um, DeYoung's advice there is 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 valuable as gold. Very, very much so. He finishes, he says, My larger and more important point, however, is to urge us as Christians to lead the way in thinking carefully and in carefully engaging those who think differently, especially on these disputed factual matters that can't be answered. I think that's one of the things we need to strive as Christians to grasp hold of. We are not a push-it-down-your-throat religion. We are a religion because that holds to the fact that when you reason things out, when you think it through, we can come to solutions because we truly believe that the Bible is has all the answers to life's struggles and life's problems and life's difficulties and whatever comes up. It might not have a specific answer. You're not going to go in the Bible and find an answer for what am I supposed to do with COVID. But <laughs> all the things that surround COVID, you can go to the Bible and find out how I'm supposed to interact with government, how I'm supposed to deal with fear, and how I'm supposed to deal with stress. All of those things, you'll find that in Scripture. And so we should be someone, a group of people who aren't afraid to think. And I think, sadly, we're afraid to think. We, we don't allow ourselves to reason, to think things through, to think things out, to, to craft narrative in our mind and rather what we do is we just find a story we latch onto it and we hold it and no one shakes it because we think if we if it gets shaken then we can't hold on to it i think that's our one of the struggles that we have to work through and the thing about it is i i think there's everybody knows that there's more than one kind of christian there's and some of the some of the people that buy into a lot of these things and go off the rails um especially when it comes to the election and covid not so much the race issues that's a, another set of people um but a lot of times it's these prosperity gospel um charismatic type churches that are doing these things um we're we're not in that tradition of christianity i i say tradition but it's really not a tradition it's only been around for <laughs> a couple maybe 150 years at the most um so it's hard to call it a tradition but um we're we're you and i are in a different tradition of Christianity and um, a lot of the times like the Jericho march that was held in uh, Washington DC that our circles that we're associated with probably wouldn't be a fan of that right um, even if they were 
even if they agreed with Donald Trump and, and voted for Donald Trump, they wouldn't be a big fan of, uh, in our mind, those things are uh, not really Christian. They're excessive eccentricities and (laughs) those kind of things. And you see a lot of people who are involved in in that um, tradition of Christianity uh, going off the deep end sometimes um, uh, on that. It's not that uh, uh, our our group is somehow immune to these things. We do silly things too, but... um, (laughs) so in in some ways we may be speaking to an audience that may not even really hear us um now when it comes to the racial issues that is something that uh, i i think our groups that we're with are uh, are uh fighting over and dealing with and and that is the advice that the young gives here i think is uh is good and valuable for us and so i i think um, even if we aren't part of the groups that are getting into these excesses, we all know people. We have family members, friends who are part of these groups that um, we could use the wisdom that uh, Mr. DeYoung, Pastor DeYoung gives to uh, um, encourage better conversations about these issues. Yes, I think that is very, very true and a good place for us to end is that we need to be willing to engage in conversation and be the example correct and to come back to the fact that we need to be humble and we need to believe in our minds and in our hearts and let it show by our actions that we're seeking for that which is right we're not seeking to be right and there's a difference between those two for now, we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find us at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your comments, your questions, and even that dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. And please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship. But for now, we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we strive to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.